how to take control of expenses, a $250,000 sale in 15 minutes, and 80 core chips. All coming up on episode 19 of the Taylor Merrick Podcast, sponsored by GoDaddy.com. Welcome to the Taylor Merrick Podcast, the three-in-one podcast on finances, business, and technology. Podcasting to you from the studios of TaylorMerrick.com, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Here's your host, Taylor Merrick. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Taylor Merrick Podcast. You're listening to episode number 19 that has been sponsored by GoDaddy.com. As a quick note, you will be getting a special code to use at GoDaddy to get 10% off on your next purchase from them and this is an exclusive code no one else has this code and I will be mentioning this code sometime during the podcast so I'd encourage you to listen up and listen in for it if you have any questions comments or ideas our toll-free line is 1-866-TMP 2860. Also, if the phone number to listen to the podcast anytime, anywhere is 1-831-480-3979. I would also encourage you to sign up for the updates via email and also to take the survey, both of which are located at taylormerrick.com. I'd also encourage you to donate to the new sound effects for the Taylor Merrick podcast. The goal is $70 and you can donate as much as you want, as much or as little as you want. Also, Taylor Merrick podcast has forums and I encourage you to go out to taylormerrick.com slash forum. And a new feature that has just been released is a chat room. And simply to access the chat room, Go to taylormerrick.com, click on the chat button, and from there you enter your login name. All you need is a name. You could be anonymous or any other login name that you want to, and you could talk to other fellow listeners of the Taylor Merrick podcast, or you feel free to ask questions on that. In episode number 19, sponsored by GoDaddy.com, we're going to be speaking about how to take control of expenses for finances, a $250,000 sale in 15 minutes for business, and 80 core chips in technology. This podcast is proudly listed at the best podcasting directory on the internet, podcastpickle.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled download, already in progress. 
So now to get started into finances, how can you take control of your expenses? Well, control over the expense column is very important control to have. Anyone can cut back, anyone can live frugally or live below their means. Anyone can be cheap and save money. Anyone can invest $50 or more a month to buy mutual funds that return them nothing. Anyone can borrow the money, borrow the equity from their home to pay off credit card debt. In reality, this is using your house as an ATM machine. Anyone can cut up their credit cards. Knowing how to spend, borrow, and continue to get richer is a sign of very high financial IQ. And that is one of the financial lessons designed into the game Cash Flow 101. But why are so many people struggling financially today? One reason is because there are so many neat things to buy and exciting things to do. There's closets that are filled with neat things you just have to have, so you buy them. But I'm sure you, you rarely use them. Instead of using what is in your closet, it is more fun to go shopping and look for something else. Or something new. And there are certain types of expenses, such as taxes and living expenses, that cannot be reduced. But there's one major type of expense that I just described that should be significantly reduced or eliminated. That is doodads. Now, what is a doodad? A doodad is neat things you just have to have, but rarely use. Today, one of the biggest businesses in the world is a self-storage business. In the U.S., this is a $17 billion business, larger than the motion picture business. The reason the self-storage business is booming is because people need extra space to save all those precious doodads. If you don't want to save those precious doodads, we throw them away. And that is why the U.S. spends more on trash bags than many other countries' entire economies. So not only is it expensive to buy doodads, it's expensive to keep them and throw them away. For an example, some doodads might be a big screen TV or your child needs braces. Although not all doodads are bad, some of them you just don't really need. Like you really do not need that big screen TV if you have a TV that is sufficient for your needs that you have. Same thing with your whatever else, cell phone, um, snowblower, boat. A boat is a really big doodad. But how you can take control of your expenses is through the doodad category. And how you can do that is by determining, do I really need this item? Now, of course, your mind might be telling you when you see that item, yes, I have to have it. But think through it logically. How is it going to benefit me in the future? How much am I going to use it? Is a similar product that I already have sufficient for my needs? So on and so forth with those questions. And uh, through that process of elimination, you'll find out, well, I really don't need that big screen TV. Or I really don't need that new cell phone that just came out. And... Uh, through that, you are saving money, and that's not a bad thing. You want to be frugal with your money, but you do not want to become frugal to the point that it is miserly and it is similar to Scrooge in Charles Dickens' Christmas Tale. 
but you need to reduce how much you spend on your deck, and that in and of itself will take a huge chunk out of expenses that you can save and that is exactly what you should do with doodads now if you want to get a doodad here's a solution that I would recommend try to find an asset building something some product that will put money into your pocket it's okay to clarify instead of shopping for doodads you should report going shopping for expenses that make you richer rather than shopping for doodads that will make you poorer what you should do is you should go out and you should buy an asset that will pay for your doodad then it'll become a little bit more worthwhile in order for you to want to buy that doodad now if you find out you really didn't want that doodad you'll have learned a valuable lesson that you don't need that and that was wasted money money that could have been spent elsewhere wisely and if you have any other further questions or comments on this feel free to give me a call anytime one eight six six tmp 2860 or you can email taylor at taylormerrick.com I also have a Skype taylor.merrick and you can Skype me um, and that will wrap it up for finances and we'll be right back with business after a word from our sponsor I started catering as a side business And, of course, I wanted to succeed, so I got a domain name and a website from GoDaddy.com. I registered Ansolites.com. Just buy any other hot Internet product and your .com is just $1.99. I worried that getting set up on the Internet would be difficult. But GoDaddy made it a cinch. Thanks to my .com name from GoDaddy, my business is... Smoking! Right now, when you buy any other of GoDaddy's hot internet products, you get your .com for just $1.99. Plus, enter code POD11 when you check out and save 10% on your web hosting order. Just go to www.godaddy.com. It's okay. It's smoked turkey. It's supposed to be like that. Now, to business. A $250,000 sale in 15 minutes. And this is another account of Frank Betcher, and he goes on to say, After Clay Hunsiger took me aside up in Boston and taught me the big secret of selling, my enthusiasm reached a new all-time high. I thought all I had to do now was go out and see enough people, and selling would be easy. Well, during the next few months, my sales record did show a definite improvement, but I kept meeting with too much opposition. I can understand why. Then one day, while attending a sales congress at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia, I heard one of America's top salesmen reveal an amazing method that gave me the answer in a nutshell. He was J. Elliott Hall of New York City. Although he has been retired now for several years, Elliott Hall's record still stands among all-time top producers. Mr. Hall told me 
how he had failed as a salesman and was about to quit when he discovered the reason why he was failing. He said he had been making too many positive statements. And to me this sounded silly. But then he electrified that large audience by throwing the meeting wide open to objections and answers. Two thousand salesmen began firing objections at him from all directions. Objections that prospects and customers have been brushing him off with every day. The excitement became terrific as Elliot Hall gave a super demonstration of how he met these objections, not with smart stock answers found in books written about how to meet objections. He met these objections by asking questions. He didn't attempt to tell his objectors that they were wrong and show them how much smarter he was than they. He simply asked questions with which his objectors had to agree and he kept on asking questions until the answers added up to just one conclusion, a sound conclusion based on facts. The profound lesson I learned from that master salesman changed my whole way of thinking. He never gave the impression that he was trying to persuade or influence anybody to his way of thinking. Elliot Hall's questions had only one purpose, to help the other fellow recognize what he wants and then help him decide how to get it. One of the toughest objections to overcome, the audience told Mr. Hall, was, I haven't made up my mind whether I'm going to take it or not. My job, answered Mr. Hall, is to help the customer in making up his mind. There's no question in the world as to whether or not. Then he'd sum it up with questions. I want to go home and think it over, one salesman said was his big stumbling block. I'm going to find out if we can help you think it over, answered Mr. Hall. You don't have to think over the... And back went Mr. Hall to his questions in order to help his objector find just what it was he wanted to think over. Even with all his persistence, no one got the impression that Elliot Hall was arguing or contradicting anybody. He was extremely forceful, yet never once did he argue or contradict or offer a fixed opinion of his own. His attitude was not that of, I know I'm right, you're wrong. His method of helping people to crystallize their thinking with questions continues to be without parallel in my experience. I shall never forget him and the substance of what he said. As I listened pop-eyed to Elliot Hall that day, I resolved that from then on I would make it a major ambition of mine to try to cultivate this great art which he had mastered to such a high degree, the art of asking questions. A few days after Mr. Hall's talk, a friend of mine called me on the phone and said that a large New York manufacturer was on the market for $250,000 of life insurance. He wanted to know if I'd be interested in submitting a proposition. This manufacturer's company was borrowing $250,000 and the creditors were insisting on that amount of insurance on the life of the president. About 10 large companies of New York had already submitted elaborate proposals. Sure, I'll be interested in submitting a proposition, I said, if you can arrange an appointment for me. Later that day, my friend phoned that he had succeeded in arranging an interview for the following morning at 10.45. And here's what happened. First, I saw there at my desk, first I sat there at my desk, thinking what to do. Elliot Hall's talk was still fresh in my mind. I decided to prepare a series of questions. For an half hour, my mind just ran around in circles. Then some questions began to pop, questions that should help this man crystallize his thinking and aid him in making a decision. It took me nearly two hours. Finally, I had written down 14 questions at random. These I rearranged in a more logical sequence. 
Next morning on the train going to New York, I studied the question over and over. By the time I arrived in Pennsylvania Station, I was so excited I could hardly wait for the interview. To strengthen my confidence, I decided to take a long chance. I phoned one of, the, one of New York's biggest medical examiners and arranged an appointment for my prospective customer at the examiner's office for 11.30 a.m. Arriving at my prospect's office, I was greeted by a secretary. She opened the president's door and I heard her say, Mr. Booth, there's a Mr. Betcher from Philadelphia here to see you. He says he has an appointment with you for 10.45. Booth, oh yes, send him in. Me, Mr. Booth. Booth, how do you do, Mr. Betcher? Have a seat. Mr. Booth waited for me to talk, but I waited for him. Mr. Betcher, I'm afraid you're wasting your time. I answered, why? Booth said, pointing to a stack of proposals and illustrations on his desk, I've had plans submitted to me by all of the leading New York companies, three of which were presented by friends of mine, one of them a close personal friend. I play golf with them every Saturday and Sunday. He's with the New York Life. That's a pretty good company, isn't it? I replied, none better in the world. Well, Mr. Betcher, under circumstances, if you still feel that you want to submit a proposition to me, you can make up figures for $250,000 of life insurance on an ordinary plan at my age, 46, and just mail it to me. I'll put it with these other proposals, and sometime during the next couple of weeks, I expect to reach a decision. If your plan is the cheapest and the best, you will get the business, but I think you're just wasting your time and my time. I replied, Mr. Booth, if you are my own brother, I would say to you what I'm going to say to you now. He replied, what's that? Knowing what I do about the insurance business, if you are my own brother, I will tell you to take all those proposals and immediately throw them into that waste paper basket. Mr. Booth, obviously astonished, why do you say that? I replied, well, in the first place, properly to interpret these proposals would require an actuary, and it takes seven years to become an actuary. But even if you were able to select the lowest cost proposition today, five years from now, that very company would be among the highest cost companies of this group. That is history. Frankly, those companies you have selected are the best in the world. You could take all those proposals, spread them over the top of your desk, close your eyes, and the one you happen to point at could be just as likely be the lowest cost company as the one you would carefully choose after weeks of deliberation. Now, Mr. Booth, my job is to help you arrive at a final decision. In order to help you do this, I must ask you some questions. Is that all right? He answered, sure. Go right ahead. As I understand it, your company is to be extended a running line of credit of a quarter of a million dollars. Part of the deal is that your life is to be insured for 250000 The policy is to be assigned to your creditors. Is that right? Yes, he answered. That is right. In other words, they have confidence in you if you live, but in the event of your death, they don't have the same confidence in your company. Isn't that right, Mr. Booth? Yes, I suppose that right, he answered. Then why isn't it of paramount importance, in fact the only thing of importance, that you obtain this insurance immediately and transfer that risk to the insurance companies? Suppose you should wake up tonight, in the middle of the night, and it should suddenly occur to you that the fire insurance on your large plant up in Connecticut had expired yesterday. Why, you probably wouldn't be able to get back to sleep the rest of the night. And the first thing tomorrow morning you would have your broker on the phone telling him to protect you immediately, wouldn't you? Of course I would, he answered. Well, your creditors regard this insurance on your life with just the same importance that you regard the fire insurance on your plant.
Isn't it possible that if anything developed whereby you'd be unable to obtain this insurance on your life, your creditors might reduce or even entirely refuse to grant you this loan? Booth said, Oh, I don't know, but I suppose that's quite possible. I replied, And if you should find yourself unable to obtain this credit, wouldn't it probably mean thousands and thousands of dollars to you? Wouldn't it probably mean the difference between a profit and a loss to your business this year? Booth questions, What do you mean by that? I answered, Well, I have an appointment for you this morning at 11.30 with Dr. Carlyle, one of the leading medical examiners of New York City. His examination is recognized by practically all the life insurance companies. He's the only medical examiner I know whose single examination is good for $250,000 of life insurance on one person's life. He has electrocardiograph and fluoroscope machines and all the other equipment necessary for such an examination as you require right in his office at 150 Broadway. Booth answered, Can't these other brokers do the same thing for me? I answered, Not this morning, they can't. Mr. Booth, recognizing the serious importance of having this examination made immediately, suppose you should telephone one of these brokers this afternoon and tell him to proceed at once. The first thing you would do would be phone one of his friends, a regular examiner, and try to have him here in your office this afternoon to make the first examination. If the doctor's papers were mailed out tonight, one of the medical directors for that particular company would sit at his desk at the head office tomorrow morning looking at you on paper. If he decided that you're a quarter of a million dollar risk, he would then authorize a second examination by another doctor who would have the necessary equipment. It's all means further delay. Why should you take this risk for another week, even another day? Booth answered, Oh, I think I'm going to live a while. I answered, Suppose you should wake up tomorrow morning with a sore throat and find yourself laid up for a week with the grip or gripe. Then, when you are well enough to have this difficult examination made, the insurance company would say to you, Now, Mr. Booth, we think you're going to be all right again, but there is some little condition which has developed as a result of your recent illness, and we must postpone action for three or four months until we find whether it is temporary or something permanent. You would then have to tell your creditor that the final judgment was postponed. Isn't it possible that they would postpone the extension of this loan to you? Isn't that a possibility, Mr. Booth? You replied, Yes, of course it's a possibility. I said, looking at my watch, Mr. Booth, it is now 11.10. If we leave here immediately, we will be able to keep that appointment with Dr. Carlyle in his office at 11.30. You look as good... You look as though you never felt better in your life. If you are as good on the inside as you look on the outside, you should be able to have this insurance in effect in 48 hours. You are feeling well this morning, aren't you, Mr. Booth? Yes, he replied, I'm feeling very well. Then why isn't this examination the most important thing in the world for you to take care of right now? He replied, Mr. Betcher, whom do you represent? I answered, I represent you. Mr. Booth bowed his head and thought. He lights a cigarette. After a few moments, he slo slowly rises from his desk, looks into space, walks over to the window, then to the hat rack, takes hat off of the rack, and turns to me. Let's go. Well, we rode down to the off doctor's office on the 6th Avenue subway. After the examination was satisfactory completed, Mr. Booth seemed suddenly to become my friend. He insisted on taking me to lunch with him. 
As we began eating, he looked at me and began to laugh. By the way, he asked, what company do you represent? That is in the words of Frank Betcher. And here's that exclusive offer from GoDaddy.com. Enter this code when you check out and you will receive 10% off anything that you buy. 10% off your next order. You take out a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen and write this down. Code you should enter is BLUE11, B-L-U, number one and the number one. BLUE11. You enter that and you will get 10% off your next order. And that will wrap it up for business. This podcast is part of the Blueberry Network. You can find this and other fine podcasts at Blueberry.com. That's Blueberry without the E's. This show is a proud member of the TechPodcast.com network. Find out more about this and other shows at www.TechPodcast.com. TechPodcast.com. If it's tech, it's here. As for technology, you might be wondering, 80 cord ships? Well, what's that? Well, if you listen to my previous episode, episode 15, it was Intel quad-core chips. I was talking about Intel coming out with quad-core chips, basically four chips squashed on top of each other, totaling 16 chips or something like that, and basically having it quadruple the power of dual-core. Well, now Intel test chips design with an 80-core processor. And following their march from standard processors to dual-core and quad-core designs in 2006, Intel researchers have built an 80-core chip that performs more than a teraflop of operations. What's a teraflop? Trillions of floating point operations per second. But that performs more than a teraflop of operations while using less electricity than a modern desktop PC chip. First described by Intel executives at a September trade show, the chip fits 80 cores into a 275 square millimeter fingernail sized chip and draws only 62 watts of power, less than many modern desktop chips. The company has no plans to bring this teraflop research chip to market, but it is using it to test new technologies such as high bandwidth interconnects, energy management techniques, and a tile design method to build multi-core chips, said Jerry Bautista, director of Intel's TerraScale research program. He spoke in a conference call with reporters on Friday before presenting technical details of the research at the ISSCC, known as the Integrated Solid State Circuits Conference, trade show in San Francisco. Intel has discussed the era of Terra before. Intel engineers are also using the chip to explore new forms of terascale computing, in which future users could process terabytes of data on their desktops to perform real-time speech recognition, multimedia data mining, photorealistic gaming, and artificial intelligence. Until now, that degree of computing performance has been available only to scientists and academies using machines like ASCI Red, the teraflop supercomputer built by Com- Intel and its partners in 1996 for U.S. government researchers in Sandia National Laboratories near Albuquerque, New Mexico. That system handled a similar amount of computing as a new chip.
but demanded an enormous 500 kilowatts of power and 500 kilowatts of cooling to run its nearly 10,000 Pentium Pro chips. Shrunk onto a single chip, that power would allow average consumers to use their PCs in new ways. They could use improved search functions on the vast amounts of digital media stored on home desktops, searching large photo archives for special attributes such as all the shots where a certain person is smiling or that person is posing with a friend, Batista said. Running at 3.16 gigahertz, the new sh chip achieves 1.01 teraflops of computation, an efficiency of 16 gigaflops per watt. It can run even faster, but loses efficiency at higher speeds, performing at 1.63 teraflops at 5.1 gigahertz and 1.81 teraflops at 5.7 gigahertz. The processor saves power by shunting idle cores into sleep mode, then instantly turning them on as they're needed. Each modulator tile has its own router built alongside the core, creating a network on a chip. Despite using such an inefficient Despite using such an efficient grid, the researchers found they could actually hurt performance by adding too many cores. Performance scaled up directly from 2 cores to 4, 8, and 16, but they found that computing performance began to drop with 32 and 64 cores. If we simply added more than 16 cores, we would get diminishing returns because the threads and data traffic would not be used properly, so the cores get in the way of each other. It's like having too many cooks in a kitchen, said Batista. To solve the problem on a new chip, they used a hardware-based thread scheduler and faster on-chip memory caches, optimizing the way data flows from memory into each core. To improve the design, Intel researchers plan to add a layer of 3D stacked memory under the chip to minimize the time and power required to feed the cores with data. Next, they will create a megachip that uses general purposes cores instead of the floating point units used in the current design. Well, what do you think of Intel? <laughs> it's an 80-core processor. We just use one or two dual-core processors now. Just think if it was 80. I mean, that would be huge. And that will basically wrap it up for technology today. And I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to listen to episode number 19, sponsored by GoDaddy.com. If you haven't already, the code was announced back so you have to listen if you have any questions comments or ideas toll free line 1-866-TMP-2860 I'm Taylor Merrick and I will see you next week <laughs>